My sermon is entitled today, Showing Compassion in a World of Hurt. It is no secret to any of us that we live in a world of hurt. The COVID-19 crisis has killed more than 600,000 people worldwide and more than 143,000 uh, people here in the U.S. In addition, we have a continued crisis of racism in our country. This has been dramatically displayed for us by the recent video recordings of black Americans killed by racist police officers. We are experiencing a world of hurt, both globally and also nationally. How then are Christians supposed to respond? The only right response is one of compassion for those who are suffering. Recently, I led a study of compassion the book we read and discussed was written by the religious historian and scholar, Karen Armstrong, and the book was 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. It's an excellent book showing how all the major religions of our world have a strong ethic of compassion within them. Armstrong says, compassion derives from the Latin pateri, and the Greek pantheon, meaning to suffer, undergo, or experience. So compassion means, she states, to endure something with another person, to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, to feel her pain as though it were our own, and to enter generously into his point of view. That is why compassion is aptly summed up in the golden rule, which asks us to look into our own hearts, discover what gives us pain, and then refuse under any circumstances whatsoever to inflict that pain on anyone else. This brings us to our scripture lessons for this day. Our Old Testament lesson is from the prophet Micah, who asks, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Does God want our offerings at the temple? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? No, says Micah. What the Lord requires is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To love kindness means that we have empathy for someone who is hurting, and we are willing to put ourselves out by helping others. To live humbly with our God is not to pretend that we are better than we are. It is to realize that we are human beings like everyone else and not, so to speak, to put on airs. Clearly, there is a price to be paid for working for justice. It means standing against evils like racism today. And when you stand against something, you will find resistance from those who benefit from it. This past week, countless well-deserved memorial tributes 
were given to an American hero, John Lewis. He paid the price of literally being beaten along with other black protesters by white resistors on a bridge in Selma, Alabama in April of 1965. Tragically, Martin Luther King Jr. later paid the ultimate price. Our gospel lesson from Matthew reinforces what the prophet Micah proclaimed. In it we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here we find Jesus going about his ministry. As he was doing this, he observed the crowds of people around him. From city to city, from village to village, he noticed the same thing. He noticed they were distressed and downcast as a sheep without a shepherd. And it says that Jesus had compassion upon them. Everything that Jesus did was rooted in compassion. His words, including the stern words, the comforting words, the healing words, the forgiving words, all had their root in his compassionate love. His deeds of mercy stem from it as well. He sees a pain, a hurt, a sorrow, a loss, and his compassionate love causes him to reach out, to touch, to lift, to help, to heal, to forgive, to transform, and yes, even to challenge. If we call ourselves Christian, if God has laid a hand on us, if Jesus has claimed our allegiance, then we simply cannot be like the rest of the world. God has called us to care, to have compassion, and to love as Christ loved and served the world. Some years ago, one of the fastest selling items in religious bookstores had been a little bracelet with the letters WWJD engraved on it. These letters stand for, what would Jesus do? That question was the central focus of a small book written more than 100 years ago, entitled In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. In His Steps is a story of a somewhat complacent church congregation that is goaded by an unemployed drifter into taking seriously their mission to the world as followers of Jesus Christ. When the needy person dies, the deeply moved congregation commits itself to living for one year with this constant question, what would Jesus do? Every action or decision the congregation makes is based upon this question. It's not an easy year for the congregation, but they stay true to their commitment, and in the end, they have a powerful influence on the surrounding community. In his steps, 
sold many millions of copies in its day, and it is still in publication and is considered to be one of the most read books in the world. It is a haunting question. What would Jesus do if he were to live in our place at this time, confronting the dilemmas that you and I face each day? It is, of course, impossible to know what Jesus would do in every single situation, but it is a good question for most of the situations that we face. I believe, for example, if Jesus were living in the country today, he would wear a mask. He would also tell each and every one of his followers to mask up and to social distance when they were in close proximity to others. Why? Because Jesus had compassion in a world of hurt. Friends, I don't understand politicians and people who refuse either to wear a mask or who take mask wearing as simply a matter of personal choice and liberty. That's not what Jesus would do. We don't wear a mask so much as to protect ourselves. We wear a mask to protect others because as responsible and caring citizens and Christians no less, we are to be a people of compassion. Think about this. If 96% of Americans were to wear masks in public, more than 33,000 lives would be saved by the end of September, according to projections from the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. Their modeling predicts 179,106 deaths by October 1st, a figure that drops to 146,000 with 95% compliance. I believe that mask wearing and social distancing in public places should be required by law and enforced until this crisis is behind us. I also support the peaceful protests of the Black Lives Matter movement because I majored in history in college and in graduate school and know the horrible injustices done to both Native and African Americans in this country. Injustices are not only a thing of the past, but unfortunately continue even in our own day. I value historical monuments and I believe that Confederate statues have a place on battlefields, in museums, and in cemeteries, but they do not have a place in the public square. They are an insult to our national union and especially to black Americans because of slavery. I am grateful to the state of Mississippi that is going to replace its 126-year state flag that contains a Confederate symbol upon it. It's about time. And I'm not feeling all that negative here. There's some evidence that our society is making some progress in these days. 
I am amazed and glad-hearted, for example, that a number of anti-racist books have recently hit the bestseller list, including White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and Stamp from the Beginning, both books by Ibram X. Kendi, Me and White Supremacy by Leila F. Saad, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and the book that I am currently using in a study in a small group in our church's shelter house, So You Want to Talk About Race by E. Joma Aluo. Pastor Melissa will also be offering studies this fall using the very same book. What this means is that many Americans are moved to learn about the deplorable racism that is a significant part of our national history. Racism or white supremacy is America's original sin and it is still with us. And though we have made progress, we still have, I believe, a long way to go. I urge you to read at least one of these books, whether it's in a group study, like here at church, and I encourage many of you to consider joining uh, Melissa this fall, or in a personal study in your home, by learning about the darker side of our nation's history you will grow to become more compassionate toward the victims of racism. In her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, Ijoma Alil states that the most common definition for racism is, racism is any prejudice against someone because of their color. There is, she says, a better definition for racism which is racism is a prejudice against someone based on race when those prejudices are reinforced by systems of power. To be sure, as a church, we need to work on changing the hearts and minds of individuals to cast off their racist thoughts and actions. That is what the first definition is all about. But we must also fight systemic racism that reinforces our white privilege at the expense of racial minorities in our country. That is what the more inclusive definition is all about. It includes police brutality, racial income inequality, our racially biased criminal justice system, racial segregation that in some places continues, and so much more. There's a lot to do, starting with police reform, but that's just a start. In our nation, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. What policies can we put in place to lift up the standard of living for those who are poor? How can we see that all our nation's children have a good chance for a good education, even in the poorest neighborhoods. That means spending as much per child in poor neighborhoods as rich, and we can't do that with local property taxes. Our oldest son, Mark, lives in Helsingborg, Sweden, with his family. And one day he told me, Dad, one of the things that I've learned since living here is that health care should be a right. 
I believe that too. How can we therefore make healthcare as a right available to all equally, regardless of income? To be compassionate, we have to see the world we are actually living in and have been living in for far too long, a world plagued by injustice, inequality, and yes, racism. Despite making up just 13% of our nation's population, black Americans make up 52% of our homeless population. At 27%, American, uh, black Americans have the highest poverty rate of any race, a figure that is truly alarming. And 46% of black children under the age of six live in poverty in our land. You see, when the system benefits one race over one or a few races, when the system serves one race or even a few races better than another, when the system regards one race or even a few races more highly than another, whether it is explicit or implicit, written or just known, that is called systemic racism. And it is a problem that we as a society and as a country have let continue and fester and plague us for far too long. School teacher, activist, and educator, Jane Elliott once asked an, an auditorium full of white people, if you as a white person would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. There was stillness. You didn't understand the direction, she continued. If you white folks want to be treated the way black folks are in this society, stand. Nobody is standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening. You know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you are so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen to others. In his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, black theologian James Cone states, Jesus was not gonna be found in some place like a pulpit or a podium but on the ground with his face high, pressed into the pavement, gasping for air as he utters the words, I can't breathe. Cohn makes the connection between the cross that Christ was crucified on and the lynching trees that countless black Americans were hung on. He reminds us that the sins that put Jesus on the cross are not so different from the sins that tied a rope around their necks. That means it doesn't matter if we were there when it happened. It doesn't matter if we were the ones that drove the nail through his hands or put our knee on his neck. These sins, the sin of racism and racial violence is all our problem, all of our burden to bear. There was a small town near the base of a tall cliff. The cliff itself, was an amazing sight to see. And people from far and wide would come and gaze from the heights of the cliff to take in the beauty of God's creation. It inspired romance and politics, I mean, poets alike. However, the town had a problem. 
A number of people were falling off the cliff and the ambulance response to the time for those who had fallen was critical. Town officials decided they should put an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff to respond more quickly. But it was not until someone recommended a fence be built at the top to prevent people from falling rather than treating them after the fall, did they discover that they no longer needed an ambulance. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said, True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It is not haphazard and superficial. It comes to see that an edifice that produces beggars needs restructuring. My friends, that's where I think we find ourselves now. How do we show compassion in a world of hurt? How do we show compassion not only to individuals, but work for a more just America and world. For many years, Anton Lane played the part of Christ in the passion play in the German village of Uber Amagal. One day, a friend was looking around the set. He saw the cross and tried to pick it up. He thought it would be a fake cross, but it was made of real timbers. He said, why is it so heavy? How do you carry that cross? And Lang answered, if I did not feel the weight of the cross, I could not play his part. Jesus said, we are to pick up our crosses and follow him. Lord, help us to do just that. Let us pray. Use us, O oh God. Show us how to take who we are, who we want to be, and what we can do, and use it for a purpose greater than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us join together in hymn number 402, Lord, I Want to Be a Christian. 